welcome to the Lessons for Living television program. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. As we pick up our story with Joseph this week, a few things have happened. And Joseph is married and he has two children. He's got two boys. The seven years of plenty have come and have gone. And Joseph, well, he's been given complete authority. Strategically, he's managed the surplus of food during the seven years of abundance. And now he controls these vast vaults of food. He is the master of abundance in the midst of a famine. The famine, well, that's spread over well, all the face of the earth. And Joseph opens the vaults of food to the peoples of other lands instead of hoarding all of the food for Egypt. And all of this, and he's still only 30 years old. As I said, a severe famine has come over the land. The only country with food was Egypt. Why? Well, because of God's hand on Joseph, the Egyptians have been forewarned, so they, well, they prepared for the lean years that came under Joseph's leadership. Now, starving people from all the other lands have begun to trickle into Egypt because they know they can buy food there. Now, in the meantime, the spirit-directed camera of Scripture, it leaves Egypt and it adjusts its zoom lens on a hamlet in Hebron back in the land of Canaan, back in the place of Joseph's childhood. The place he was forced to leave, what, some 20-something years ago. Genesis chapter 42, beginning at verse 1. Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his sons, Why are you staring at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us from that place, so that we may live and not die. <clears throat> Joseph's father, his brothers are still alive. They're not doing that well, however. Their homeland, well, it's been devastated by the famine. Now, it was during that time that the old patriarch Jacob heard, well, that there was grain in Egypt. So he comes and he says, why are you guys sitting around here looking at each other? He's speaking to his sons. I guess when you reach his age, uh, patience gives way to pontification. Why are you guys sitting here twiddling your thumbs? We need food. We're starving. The cisterns and the wells have dried up. Our crops have withered. The land is barren. We've had no rain, no relief for months. We need help. And I understand there is food in Egypt. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get yourselves down there and bring some food back. Because if you don't, we're all going to die. So Jacob sent all of his sons off to Egypt. All that is, except his youngest son, Benjamin. The one son remaining of his beloved deceased wife, Rachel. Him, Joseph kept it, uh, Jacob kept at home. Now, back in Canaan, Jacob thought Joseph was dead. 
Joseph's brothers, well, they knew nothing of Joseph's whereabouts. They certainly didn't know that that brother that they had sold into slavery some 20 or more years earlier was now the prime minister of Egypt. All they knew was that they must obey their aging father and come back with food. Now, meanwhile, back in Egypt, Joseph knew nothing about his family. It's probable, I would understand, that in his unguarded moments alone with his thoughts, he must have wondered about them and their welfare. Was his dear father still alive? Were his brothers still alive? Were they doing well? What kind of a toll had the famine taken on them? But while he was busy there in Egypt, carrying out his responsibilities as prime minister, it is probable that his thoughts would return to the simpler days of yesteryear. Now, his main activity at this time was seeing that the people were fed and overseeing the distribution of the food that was in storage to many people who lived outside of Egypt, who came with hope that they would receive some sort of assistance and relief. Now, all of this sets the stage for what has to be one of the most remarkable, dramatic stories in history. To this day, it touches the chords of great emotions in audiences around the world as the scenes are reproduced in film and in live theater productions. Genesis chapter 42, beginning at verse 5. So the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the ruler over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself to them and spoke harshly. And he said to them, where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. <clears throat> now just imagine this. All ten of the older brothers of Jacob, older sons of Jacob, uh, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishakar, Zebulun, Gad, Asher, Dan, and Naphtali, they are all ushered into the presence of the prime minister of Egypt. And the surroundings must have seemed awesome to these country boys. They were from Canaan. And here they now, they, they're standing before the prime minister, a man of immense authority and and wealth, and by the fact that he's controlling the, the food in all the world, he holds power, and the power of life and death are in his own hands. We can see how overwhelmed they were because their initial response was to bow with their faces to the ground. Now keep in mind, they have no clue that that Egyptian robed in royalty was their long-lost brother. On the other hand, now look at it from Joseph's perspective. At this point, he may have been exhausted. Well, first, there's been the stress of building the granaries, as well as planning and the rationing during the years of plenty. Now, there's this pressure of having to dispense this stored grain from Egypt with prudence and wisdom and, 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 and with equality. 
every day he faced his own people, plus a parade of people from foreign lands, including now these latest travel-worn, rather ragtag bunch of Hebrews. Now, since he instantly recognized them and realized that they failed to recognize him, he enjoys this classic opportunity rarely allowed a person with his power, given their sordid past. Well, at least they bowed respectively before him. Then, as they stood up and he looked into their faces, he watches them carefully. Now, they were bearded, unlike the usually clean-shaven Egyptians. They wore the garb of Canaan and spoke the language of his people, the Hebrews. There was no question in his mind. These men were his brothers. You know, I've often wondered, you know, I wonder if Joseph had been looking for them all along. You know, as the people from other lands began to pour into Egypt looking for food, I've wondered, you know, did Joseph sit there and wonder if one day his own family would appear before him? And finally, they're there. There's where they are. But the biblical account tells us that he recognized them, but he disguised himself. Well, but he went beyond that, for it says he spoke harshly to them. Where have you come from? The Egyptian prime minister barks out sharply. Well, there was no reason for his brothers to recognize him. Many years had passed. He was clean-shaven. He wore the headdress of Egypt. He spoke to them in Egyptian through a translator. In the eyes of Jacob's ten sons, he was an intimidating, powerful official. Well, since Joseph recognized them and realized they did not recognize him, he had to think fast. The absence of any bitterness in his heart freed his mind to think creatively, well, even playfully. And what had been an interesting exchange became exceedingly significant. Chapter 42 of Genesis, beginning at verse 8. But Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. Why are you here? He asks them. We've come to buy food, they said. We're from the land of Canaan and, and we're starving there. <clears throat> Suddenly, Joseph experienced this divinely appointed deja vu. While he's standing there talking to his brothers, the dust of 20 years blow away from his memory, and he remembered his one dream of long ago. He recalled his brother's sheaves of wheat bowing before his sheaf, and the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowing down to him. How tempting it must have been for him to reveal himself at that moment and remind them of those dreams. Those dreams. The, the dreams that they had mocked him and, and hated him for. How satisfying would it have been to say, I told you so. 
Instead, Joseph decides to buy a little time. He says, you've come to spy on us. That's what he accused them of. You've come to assess the areas of our country that are not well defended so that you can attack us and steal our food. No, 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 his brothers protested. We're hungry from the famine. We've simply come here to buy food. Now, watch carefully. Watch how this unusual dialogue unfolds, beginning at verse 11. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. Yet he said to them, No, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. But they said, Your servants are twelve brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. And Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you will be tested. By the life of the Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Now put yourself in Joseph's sandals. How must he have felt when he heard these words? So far as his brothers were concerned, he no longer existed. He's buried in the graveyard of their memories. He was no more. Three times, Joseph accused them of being spies. Then in one of their responses, they unwittingly give him information that he wanted. They told him that his father and Benjamin were still alive. Well, by mentioning them, the brothers have played right into Joseph's hands. There is one way you can prove your innocence. One way you can prove you're telling the truth, Joseph tells them. You can bring your youngest brother here, but I still don't trust you. So only one of you can go. The rest will be imprisoned here as hostages. Well, then, after proposing this plan, Joseph put all of them in prison for three days. Now, we're not told anything of what transpired during those three days. It's left to our imagination. On the third day, however, for some reason, Joseph revises the plan, offering to keep only one of them as a hostage. The rest of them, well, they could return to Canaan and bring back their youngest brother, Benjamin. Uh, verse 18. Now Joseph said to them on the third day, Do this and live. For I fear God, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you, go, carry grain for the famine of your household, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words may be verified, and you will not die. And they did so. We don't know why Joseph changed his plan, or what he was hoping to accomplish with all this, but I, I, I think we can imagine what was going through his mind. I wonder if Benjamin is healthy and strong. What about my father? Is he too old to remember? Oh, how I long to see my entire family. How tempted I am to tell them who I am. Boy, are they ever going to be shocked. Now, Joseph chose Simeon as hostage and had him put in shackles there in the presence of his brothers. 
Now, why did Joseph pick Simeon? Well, you might think he would have chosen the firstborn, Reuben, the one who had tried to save Joseph's life back at the pit. Perhaps Joseph remembered Reuben's attempt to intervene on his behalf and instead chose the second oldest, Simeon, to remain behind. Before he did that, however, he listened in on a conversation that his brothers were having as they spoke in Hebrew to one another, obviously thinking that Joseph could not understand them. Genesis 42, beginning at verse 21. Then they said to one another, Truly we are guilty concerning our brother, because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not tell you, do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Now comes the reckoning for his blood. In the, in the original, the, the we in their conversation is emphatic. We are guilty. We saw the distress of his soul. We would not listen. Now, notice how the brothers did not blame their father for being passive. They didn't blame their brother Joseph for being proud or arrogant or favored. They did not diminish the wrong by saying, oh, we were too young to know any better. They used the right pronoun when they agreed together, we are responsible. The brother's crime was now more than two decades old, but they still felt the distress of it. You see, time does not erase distress. We have evidence of that in our own lives. The emotional entanglements brought about by the consequences of our own sin can be so devastating, you know, that we can become physically ill. I wonder what Joseph felt when he heard his brother's words, when he heard them admit their guilt over what they had done. We're told that he had to leave the room so he could weep. Tears of relief, tears of joy. He understood, well, one of the reasons they were breaking. They had been in the dungeon for three days. Joseph knew what that was like. Well, he had spent years in a dungeon. He knew what a dungeon experience could do to a person. The long outstanding bills were coming due for Joseph's brothers. And as their debt rose even higher before their eyes, they openly admitted, we're guilty. Now, in tune with God's timing, Joseph did not reveal himself to them. Instead, he retains Simeon as a hostage and sends them on their way to Canaan with distinct instructions to bring back Benjamin. Now, before they left, however, Joseph performed an act of grace. Chapter 42, verse 25. Then Joseph gave order to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. And thus it was done for them. So they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed from there. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money, and behold, it was in the mouth of the sack. Then he said to his brothers, My money has been returned, 
and behold, it is even in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? Joseph's brothers, they want to get out of Egypt as fast as they can. <clears throat> when their sacks are filled with grain, they've loaded them on their donkeys, and they immediately begin their journey back to Canaan. But something happened. On the first night where they stopped to rest and to feed and to water the animals, one of the brothers opens the sack to get out food for his donkey, and he sees that the money that he had given to the prime minister of Egypt, it was tucked there in the top of the bag. I can't believe this, he said. My money, it's been returned. It's here in my sack. The other brothers quickly opened their sacks, well, and they discovered that their money had been returned to them also. Instead of being happy about this surprise, they were frightened. They began to tremble as they looked at one another. And they said, what is this that God has done to us? I love that statement because not only are they now feeling the full brunt of their own guilt, they're also seeing God's hands in this. What is God doing? Well, God was activating a guilty conscience. You see, sometimes our conscience is activated when we are recipients of undeserved expressions of grace. Joseph's brother, these guys, they deserved no grain. They deserved no money. They deserved punishment, perhaps even imprisonment for what they had done to their brother. Instead, they wind up with freedom, a full sack of grain, and all their money returned. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Perhaps we have not appreciated just how abundantly God's grace has rearranged and restored our lives. How grateful we should be that God's Spirit is still at work. His Spirit doesn't stop working with us even when we stop being interested in Him. Your response to God's voice, your choice to obey, well, that can change the rest of your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for Jesus and what he did for us on Calvary, removing our name from the list of the unforgiven. Though we deserve death, he gave us life. May we all come to the cross today and accept that gift. That is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like we do with every program, <clears throat> we have a resource for you uh, that is something that we'd like you to add to your spiritual library. Uh, what we have for you today is a little book uh, written by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Dwight Nelson. It is called Outrageous Grace. It says, Finding a Forever Friendship with God. If you'd like to receive this book as a gift from Lessons for Living Television, no obligation whatsoever on your part. 
Um, those of you that have been requesting the books, you know that we send them out to you. We don't ask you for any money for anything. Um, if you'd like to get this book, maybe for yourself, or maybe to pass on to a friend, well, here's the information you need so we can get it out to you right away. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. That's Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you can order this offer by calling our 1-800 number and speaking with one of our volunteers at 1-800-972-0337. Well, we've come to the end of another program. Thank you so much for tuning in. A few things I want to talk to you about before we go. Uh, I want to remind you of the website. Our website is l4ltv.com. Uh, on the website, you can see all of the previous programs. You can find out where I will be appearing live. Now, most Saturday mornings from about 10 o'clock to 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I am at my church in Toronto, the Harmony Adventist Church. Uh, we rent space in the Wellspring Worship Center 89th Center Avenue. That's in the Bayview Steels area for those of you that are familiar with Toronto. Why not come out on a Saturday and spend the morning with us? Uh, from 10 till about 11.15 we have Bible study and then from 11.30 to roughly 1 o'clock we have our worship service. We're a small congregation, a loving congregation. Um, you're going to feel well at home. Why not come out and check us out one Saturday? On the website, under the Live Appearances tab, you'll see exactly the dates that uh, I will be there. So here's the invitation. It's extended to you to come out. On the website, you can also, if you're looking for a Bible study group, you can find that. If you have a, a pressing Bible question that you'd like to have answered, well, send it to me. You can send it through the website, or you can write to me directly at bill at l4ltv.com, and I'll be happy to get you answers or, uh, research it for you and share some information with you. Uh, on the website, you can also make a donation. And I want to thank the viewers that uh, many of you have gone on the website or even called our 1-800 number and made a donation, knowing that those donations go directly to this ministry to pay for the airtime, the studio we're in right now, the gifts we, we give out. Not one penny of that donation comes to cover my salary or any comes to any benefit to me directly. So I just wanted you to know that. We also have our Facebook page, our Lessons for Living Television Facebook page. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. As a subscriber on the YouTube channel, every time I post a new one, it'll be on there. And check out our missionnowcanada.com website which is the part of our ministry that deals with overseas mission work. 
free dental care, free medical care, prescription drugs, vision care, a building project, all kinds of stuff, but we are out of time. I hope you'll join us again next time. In the meantime, I'll be praying that you receive some of the richest blessings from God. See you back here again real soon.